Welcome to The Kindness Project, the podcast designed to share stories of kindness and share how kindness can make positive change in our world, one small act at a time. This time on The Kindness Project, learning the lingo, muddling up Mandela, and we have part one of our interview with Nick Elston. Welcome to The Kindness Project. <laughs> okay, I'm Chris Dames. Yep. And you are Charlotte Dames. Yep. Charlotte Dames is a girl who is almost as fa- famous as Mr. Nigel Mandela. <laughs> it's Charlotte. <laughs> <laughs> okay, okay, I'll come down. Um, and I'm joined by a man who's starting to learn his lingo. It's Chris Dames. Oh, yes. Right, so teach our audience about this new... Like, as a man of 42, I should... I love the fact that I can learn effectively what the kids are doing. Do you know what I mean? Like, the, the, the fresh hip language that's going on the, on the streets. Hip. It, hip, yeah, I know. Not a no. word I should use, really, no. is it? And weirdly, it's not a word that I ever, I ever use, apart from clearly this conversation. Yeah. So, teach us a word, Charlotte. Okay. Um, so, where should I start? Um, so, do you guys all know the word moves? Oh, um, well, the word moves. Yeah, the word moves. You yeah. know the word moves. Well, now we're going to use it in a different context. So uh, I'd like you to say something, how you're feeling. I'm feeling good today. Mood. Mood. Mood, which means I agree with your feeling. I, I am feeling that too. And again, this is, the, this is where the con- conversation gets interesting because I always thought like lingo was meant to be easier than <laughs> the actual thing you say. And ask me how I'm feeling. How are you doing? Good. Mood, bro. Mood, mood bro. <laughs> right. How are you feeling? I'm good, thanks. As am I. See? That, that, that's as easy. Just That is just as easy. It's so, also two more syllables. But not if you had bro. <laughs> mood, dude. Um, <laughs> okay, well then it's still one more syllable. All right, all right. You got me on that one. So mood is one. Yeah. Mood, me, mood means... I feel the same way. I feel your pain. I feel your pain. Does it need to be pain or can it be no, pleasure? it can be pleasure, but it's usually pain. It's usually pain. It's usually pain. Okay, fair enough. Um, what's the next one you're going to teach oh, us? Uh, the next one... I'm At going Charlotte's to... School of Language okay. for the Children. Hi, okay. what did I teach you this morning? I taught you moods. Salty? Uh, yes! Uh, so you, you, you used salty in a really interesting context, didn't you? Oh, that I was really salty that we weren't doing Lord of the Flies instead of... Uh, I think it was. And salty means sad? I think bitter. Bitter? Yeah. Right. So it's. How about using this word, bitter? No! Instead of the word salty, that means something completely different. When did salty start to mean bitter? The world is upside down! (laughs) It's not not something you can really explain. It's just kind of. If you're upset about it and you're bitter bitter about it, but there's two different. I tell you what. I tell you salty what, about it. I'm, I'm going to go, I meet an apple and go, oh, that was really salty. And I go, and you go, what do you mean salty? I'll, I'll go, I mean sweet. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> the world, my friends, is upside down. What is going well, on with the world? We've moved on to our final word of the week. God, <laughs> this could be a recurring thing. No, I've got that lingo. I've got that lingo for you, mate. You'll have to start doing cockney rhyming slang. Are you having a babble? What's the okay. next word of the week? Stan. Stan, yeah. meaning. It's like, it's like if you if you're a fan of something, you're a stan of it. I know where that comes from. 
I've just remembered where that comes from. There's a song by a rapper called Eminem. Yeah. Now, this is guesswork, because I've literally just thought about this. But there's, he's got a song called Stan about his biggest fan. And I'm wondering whether the word Stan comes from the fact that Eminem, Eminem, well, I, I will know because I'll Google it in a minute. Yeah. But, um, but that, that does make sense. Now, here's my problem with it. Fan is three letters. Stan, four. So I want to just use fan. No idea. No, no. Okay, we've not worked that out. Can I just explain what I meant at the start, listeners, about... Um, uh, Nigel Mandela. So I um, <laughs> managed the other day to get the name of one of the most famous, <laughs> iconic leaders, Nelson Mandela. It was Nelson, wasn't it? Yeah. Nelson Mandela's name wrong and called him Nigel Mandela. <laughs> now I was thinking of the old Formula One driver, Nigel Mansell, I think, who has never been the president of South Africa. Um, and um, <laughs> my phone just fell over. Um, and then we, Charlotte and I started having a chat, and we thought that Nigel Mandela might be Nelson's lesser-known brother. And he might have a lesser-known sister. Called Nancy. Mm-hmm. And that's the reason for that. Less funny when we're doing it on the podcast yeah. than it was when we did it yeah. originally. We were talking about vigilantes and you kind of brought up Nelson Mandela, uh, Nigel Mandela. Well, no, no, I'll tell you why. Because you, know, you were talking about terrorism. and I was not talking about terrorism. I was talking about vigilantes stealing things. I can't remember how the conversation started. But I said Nigel Mandela before he was this healing president, iconic healing president of... I know, I did that purpose. (laughs) Iconic healing president of South Africa was considered a terrorist Mm. and on what, by one side, and a freedom fighter by the other. So he was a vigilante? I I, I, I don't... don't, I mean, certainly he acted for what he felt was good um, beyond the law... But I think, and they imprisoned him in a place called Robin Island for for many many years for the for the, for the stuff that he did. Um, uh, but look how that story turned out. When he there's a there's an amazing documentary, and I can't remember what it's called at the minute. Um, I'll, I'll make sure Russ puts it in the show notes. But when he came, it was on the BBC a few years ago. But when he came out. Okay. Clearly, he was feeling very salty about being in prison for a, for a long time. He had lots of stands too. Uh, well, he, I mean, he did. Loads of people loved him, so like he he had he had lots of stands. Um, but he was imprisoned with a lot of the other people from mm. his. So when he went to his cellmate, I'm feeling quite salty about this. His cellmate went mood, bro. <laughs> All over Robin Island, people were going mood, bro. That's how it started. Um, <laughs> mood, mood, bro. Mood, mate, mood. Uh, it, it was it, it was like a prison full of cows. Um, <laughs> mood. Um, so so, but he went through an exercise where instead of imprisoning the people who mistreated the people of South Africa through the apartheid period, he had um, he felt that that wasn't the way to go and the way to go was to forgive mm-hmm. um, uh, as long as the people uh, like the people who were running the system at the time told their stories and that as, a, as an act of humanity mm. was amazing. 
You know, so, so I think, well done, Nigel, um, and your brother, Nelson, and your sister, Nancy, <laughs> for being such an iconic leader of men, women, and cows. Um, Should we get on with question in the podcast? Yeah. <laughs> what is it? <laughs> Today's question in the podcast is... Sponsored by no chocolate brand. <laughs> Sponsored by Ferrero Rocher, the chocolate senator's love. What's the best chocolate in the world? Now, you said something... Just, just to clear this up, there is no sponsor. We, we are joking. We, I, you know what? Come on. I, I, like, I, I need to... Now, now our listeners are, like, sort of in the tens of thousands every week. We need to sort ourselves out as a sponsor, I think. Mm. Sponsored by... I don't know. Who could we be responsible for? Chicken nuggets. Chicken nuggets. <laughs> Sponsored by KFC. Are they the chicken, don't make chicken nuggets. Other ch- chicken they breads. make popcorn chicken. Oh, you know what? I tell you what. I tell you what. I love. Right. I mean, we do this because we enjoy it. Mm. But a Nando's gold card. I'd love. <laughs> I would. I would sell Nando's um, uh, a year sponsorship for a Nando's gold card. Because I think that gives you free chicken for life. <gasps> life, 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 <laughs> life, free chicken. Anyway, um, chicken. The, the question of the podcast is: What's your favourite chocolate bar? What's the best chocolate bar of all time or confectionery? And you came in with this disgusting. <laughs> Um, idea chocolate limes oh they're brilliant I love them why just do they're, they're sour and then you get to the middle and they're really sweet and no. it's really nice no the words chocolate and lime shouldn't even be in the same planet um, what would be the uh, well, apart from chocolate limes which clearly we're banning off the list what what's the world your the world's greatest chocolate bar chocolate bar don't eat Cheap ones you get the offy. Right. You do this thing that fascinates me. I almost spat my coffee all over the table there, listeners. You do this thing that fascinates me. Um, And you know you do it. You go from relatively well-spoken to common at the drop of an eyelid. And that, my friend, was one of the ways you were quite common. Because you, I went, what's your, uh, what's your favourite? Chain ones, I'll get out of the offie. I was like, what is going on? Chain ones, I'll get out of the offie. Can you let people know, um, in whatever accent you want, um, how they can get in touch with us? Um, the cheap bars at the offie. <laughs> Chain ones, I'll get out of the offie. <laughs> Fishwife Dames. If you get on brand, they're a pound. I am saving my money. Exactly. Look, that is very frugal, and I, and uh, the, I applaud you, you for you that. If you go to Tesco's, they do mollies, and you can get them for 30p, but they only do them at big Tesco's, so I usually don't venture that far. But that's not an offie, is it? Not Tesco's. No. The, but the one around the corner, the offie around the corner to us, they do bars for 50p, but the, te- the mollies at Tesco is 30p. But it's quite a bit away, and I have to get one bus. And my shoes get muddy whenever I get to go to the bus stop, so I avoid going to big. Yeah, you wouldn't go to the bus stop for a chocolate bar, would you? It'd just be no point. I can walk seven minutes and get two for uh, for a quid. Or... What the cheap ones from the office? <laughs> <laughs> or I could go 
where I could go five minutes, wait at the bus stop with mud dripping off my shoes, wait for ten minutes, and then get a bus, go in, and get three for 90p. Yeah, I, 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 I wouldn't venture out for yeah. a, a, a walk and a bus trip just for some... Just for one extra bar. Some, I'd rather get the cheap ones from the other thing. Yeah. Um, would you anyway, let, let people track. know? Yeah. <laughs> um, so Twitter, we're at Ola Kindness. Uh, Facebook, we're at thekindnessproject.co.uk. Sound effects. Um, I got really absorbed in that for a second there. Uh, uh, we, you could just Google us, and I think... We is, come up top. Is the information on the website? Yeah, um, every single episode we have ever produced is available well, as an well, archive. I keep checking my watch and I haven't got um, 106 we 106. are now. 106? Yeah. Each Crikey! Ev- <laughs> Crikey! I'm going to get down to your feet! Um, every, every single episode we've ever produced is available for your listening delegation at the office no. um, <laughs> on the website which is www.thekindnessproject.co.uk yeah so so you can you can listen to your heart's content about us talk about a range of things but more importantly the offy the offy <laughs> the offy people listen to this going what's an offy it's it's a um another slang word for off license which is basically a shop that sells booze um, and and cheap chocolate, clearly. <laughs> Shall we crack on with the show? You've never had an offie biscuit, have you? <laughs> I, I, I'm, I'm going to try one now. Um, Shall we get on with the show? Go on, then. So, I am bringing back an old favourite from uh, podcasts <gasps> long ago. No! Um, I am bringing back Kindness News. <gasps> I know! It's amazing! Um <laughs> Um, back? And, and this gives you an opportunity after I mean we'll bring back the good news segment probably next week but um, what I wanted to do is let you do your little jingle <laughs> this is the bit I like go on then kindness news it's um, been a while my throat's kind of this is a flowers edition um, loving husband spends two years planting thousands of flowers for his blind wife to smell. Mr. and Mrs. Kuroki lived a happy life as dairy farmers in rural Japan. Give me a fist bump for Japan. Uh, Raising two lovely children. But tragedy struck when Mrs. Kuroki suddenly lost her sight due to complications from diabetes. Um, Their married life became bitter as she got more and more depressed and withdrawn, secluding herself in the children. Uh, secluding herself in the family home. Uh, Miss Kuroki struggles to find a way to cheer his one true love when a beautiful idea occurred to him. He decided to plant a beautiful flower garden where uh, they can enjoy the smell, enticing her to go outside. Two years of hard work and thousands of blooming flowers later... No, I've, I've put the wrong emphasis on it. Wrong emphasis. And, and thousands of blooming flowers later, the private farm now draws people who want to see this real love story from all around the world. And um, it's amazing. I mean, the garden, um, and we'll put some uh, we'll put some photos on the show notes on the website. The garden is beautiful, isn't it? Mm. All purple flowers, and it looks absolutely amazing. Have you ever done something like that for someone you love? 
I went and picked some reeds for my <laughs> You picked some reeds or weeds? Reeds. Have you ever picked any weeds? No. I am going to, you know what? I'm never going to build a garden, let's be honest. Um, but I might go and get uh, Cassie, my wife and your... Mother. Mother. Um, some flowers uh, today. Yeah. Today would be nice. Should we grab them on the show? Let's do it. So, this week I want to introduce part one of um, an interview we did with a gentleman called Nick Elston. Mm-hmm. Okay. Now, Nick is a really amazing guy, um, and he talks to audiences far and wide across the UK, and sometimes across uh, internationally, about anxiety. Mm-hmm. Uh, Nick's story is a real, r- really personal one. Um, he suffered anxiety in the past, um, and he shares uh, in this first element what he's learned uh, about how to cope with anxiety, and uh, I thought it'd be really good to share that with our audience, some of whom might be feeling the same way. So, shall we listen to Nick? Sure. Hi, Nick. How are you? Yeah, pretty good, mate. Pretty good. How's your day gone so far? So, I've been a very productive day, actually. I've had a rare day of actually kind of office time, so I've actually managed to get a lot of big picture stuff done, which rarely happens, to be fair. Yeah, it's probably the right time of year to, to do it, right? End of the year, focused on 2020 and all that sort of stuff. Yeah, it's getting there. Although, saying that, it's really busy towards the end of the year as well, so I'm just, I'm just appreciating this lull for exactly what it is. Exactly, <laughs> yeah, no, fair, fair enough, mate. Fair enough. Thanks for coming on the podcast. Um, I really appreciate it. You're very welcome. It's nice to be here. And, and just so our listeners have got a bit of an insight in terms of uh, how this came about, um, I heard you, um, somebody told me about you actually a couple of years ago in the work you were doing, a guy called uh, Richard who works for me, who works with me in my business, um, and then I, I managed to hear you speak at Chris Budd's event. <laughs> Um, and uh, I've got to say, mate, it was one of the most genuine, authentic presentations I think I might have ever heard. So, so wow. it was, uh, it was, it was, it was really, really good. Um, but I don't want to ruin everything for my listeners, as I typically <laughs> do. Um, tell our listeners a little bit about about you. Okay, so um, my job it still sounds nuts to say that is. Um, uh, I'm a, an inspirational speaker on the lived experience of mental health and lived experience is a really key point of that, that I'm not a medical professional uh, by yeah. any stretch <laughs> um, but what I do is I see my place as increasing engagement in initiatives that people have in place already uh, unless they start to engage with those things and it's, it's kind of pointless having those things in place yeah. so how that came about was um, that I had childhood obsessive compulsive disorder OCD Um, which actually is quite commonly known, um, sometimes kind of of treated in quite a light-hearted style, but actually it's a very painful, frustrating kind of uh, illness. Um, Now, uh, I'm 41, that's back in the day, the treatment, he says in inverted commas, for for OCD, (laughs) uh, was eight weeks kind of counselling, and and I come out slightly more messed up than when I went in to an extent, because it dealt with some of the obsession, it dealt with some of the compulsion, but what it left me with, which is a very heightened state of anxiety, which is later diagnosed as generalized anxiety disorder, or GAD. Okay. So that's less commonly known, 
but actually more common. Yeah. Um, people, and, and we see this, especially, it's no coincidence that financial services is a, a huge kind of industry that I work in because um, you see those traits in people that you're kind of, you're always anxious about something. And as soon as you stop being anxious about one thing, it replaces with something else immediately. It could be the assumption of a negative outcome to all of your pursuits. It could be constantly assuming um, uh, or catastrophizing. Um, or the other thing is you start to replay past conversations in your own head um, and actually put that modern twist on it, that modern perspective on it, and, and actually doesn't work that way. Well, so why? What I end up doing is being on this hamster wheel of anxiety and worry and stress. Why, why do you think that's more pertinent in a profession like financial services as opposed to something else? Uh, why in financial services? Yeah, specifically. So financial services is interesting because um, uh, up until quite recently, the, the industry I worked most with was in, in law. Um, but it's always been up there. And I think it's because of this, and it's the experience that I had, is um, first of all, things like high anxiety can actually make you successful. This has to be said. I've built a reputation as a speaker saying things that people don't tend to say about mental health. Okay. But actually, GAD and OCD traits can push you to be successful. Okay. Um, and that certainly wasn't the case in my my experience. Um, however, this is what you'll see, is the fact that it will mean that people will drive on without any recovery scheduled. Um, they will wear a mask. They will, they will say everything's great. They will try and be what everybody wants to see in them. They'll try and see what, uh, try and be what situations demand of them, but they don't show themselves. Yeah. Um, because our conditioning and our narrative tells us that as soon as we show ourselves, that's exactly the moment we're going to get shot at. Gotcha. And it's, gotcha. Such a, it's such an ingrained feature of us. It's, it's the reason why public speaking is a bigger fear than death. Yeah. We fear ridicule more than dying. Yeah, That's yeah. How much the condition of a battling against. Can I, can I ask you a question, right? So, so I, I suppose I suppose one of the things that I'm curious about is how you're defining success. So, are you talking about career success and financial success, right? Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. So success is very obviously subjective, but I mean, even going back to what I mean is it drives you to be successful by your own terms or by actually the terms of where we've all kind of grown up with is. Yeah. So in every school, I was top grades in every click because again, when we struggle with low self-esteem and low self-confidence, anyway, you never see that going on. Yeah. That we again, we will be in every click. We will give ourselves away to appease other people. Gotcha. Um, but actually, the. Uh, into my corporate life again I would drive and drive and drive top salesperson top account manager lots of different things and, and I didn't do all those things I see it so clearly now and I look back now and those things like not scheduling recovery and those things like wearing the mask and, and not mm-hmm. telling people the truth I mean a genuine honest truth yeah um, that's why I got to the point that I did where actually I had my kind of my meltdown moment after a networking meeting a lot of you your listeners will go to these kind of business networking meetings and shake people's hand and tell everybody they're great and, and try and sell their stuff and everything else. And I come out and I just I burst out crying and I was tired and frustrated of, of just playing the game, really, and, yeah. and really struggling. Um, and again, I see it so clearly now, but actually, essentially, in life, people just want to be heard and they want to be understood. Yeah. It's when they lose hope that they lose everything or the hope of something better. Because a lot of people think that feeling bad is the worst thing about any kind of mental health condition or mental illness, but actually it's not. It's the worst thing is feeling nothing. To cut yeah. off feeling you hate, you cut off feeling love. 
yeah. um, to cut off feeling the bad. You cut off feeling the good. So actually, the worst thing is actually living under that hate. Yeah. And I guarantee that a lot of your your kind of listeners to, to this uh, podcast now will actually resonate with that times in their life who've actually just gone on autopilot for the vast majority of their lives. Yeah. And and that I mean that that experience then changed the focus of you of the work you do right because you you felt that you had to you know, what what was the what before we talk about the work you do what was the point when you said this needs to change so look Chris without getting too dark about this it was either going to consume me I had to let it out and, yeah. and all too scarily you see it you see it taking a lot of people and um, for me for any Harry Potter fans out there, <laughs> they recognise the fact it's like the bogger in the cupboard, the thing that you keep in for so long, your biggest fear. Actually, what changed for me was, and I don't recommend anybody get to the point of meltdown or breakdown, but it's truly liberating for once in your life to think you can say something and do something without that fear of judgement. Yeah. And that's why two weeks later I decided to let out my bogger to, to stand up and share exactly what had gone on the week, couple of weeks before. Okay. Um, and my narrative was telling me that everybody in that room was going to dismiss me and judge me and hate me and disown me and not love me and all this kind of different stuff that we tell ourselves. And 100% it went the other way, that everybody queued up to offer their support and everybody queued up to give me a hug. I love hugs. Yeah. <laughs> so, but the interesting thing, the dynamic change was because what was a very selfish move on my part, and I encourage everybody in that position to be selfish, there are times in your life where you have to do it yourself mm. and no one's going to do it for you. Yeah. The dynamic change when people started sharing their stuff back at me. People I'd known for years finally took off the mask and was telling me about grief and telling me about loss and abuse and all these kind of things that people are carrying around with them. So suddenly what was a, a very kind of... And it can be this way, that mental health conditions can have, be a very all-consuming, selfish pursuit. Not intentionally, it just yeah. is. Yeah. That it suddenly became about other people. And okay. that's what started to drive me to what I do today. Okay, so so the drive was that you realised that this was wider than you thought it was and people needed help, right? Yeah, I, I think the drive was just the fact that it, it just seemed liberating. Yeah. There's an expression I use, the truth is liberating. And yeah. it, it genuinely is because the person we lie to the most is ourselves. Yeah. Um, and I firmly believe we have all the answers. We don't ask ourselves the right questions. And the reason we don't ask ourselves the right questions is because we're trying to break our conditioning. Sure. Um, money is definitely, I, I mentioned at the conference that I spoke when we first met uh, in person, that, um, that money is one of those things that we've all grown up with a different conditioning about. So yeah. parents who were poor, obviously you say, for example, 200 quid is a lot of money to you having poor parents, but 200 pounds to people with rich parents is not all. Yeah, so, yeah. It's completely subjective, but our conditioning runs deep, so deeply. And when we start to question that, to try and tear that apart and to just do things differently, um, everything in us kicks back against that. Yeah. And what 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 part of your conditioning uh, personally have you been have you, like through through this transition? Have you sort of realised that potentially wasn't serving you as well as it could? So I think there's, there's three things I've really uh, struggled with. Um, I think the first thing is obviously anxiety and kind of that kind of mental health piece. Um, and uh, it's, it's no coincidence that actually looking back that, um, that my upbringing 
upbringing was quite was a loving upbringing, but actually yeah. there was anxiety in the family. And okay. Um, and then the second element is the fact that um, when I was a kid, I was told by my grandparents that he's a big lad, he loves his food. So actually, weight loss has been a big thing for me because my conditioning tells me he's a big lad, he loves his food. Yeah, you, you, you're told from a young age, right, that you... Uh, yeah. And it is interesting the fact that we're told these things from a position of love. A lot of the time we tell people, we tell kids that they're, they're sensitive or they're a warrior. Actually, yeah. it's not as if it's a bad thing, but those things can get engraved on you. And I'm yeah. not saying that for one minute is, is the reason why, for me, everything came to a head. I made a lot of kind of poor life choices along the way. Right. Um, but the, And the third thing, actually, I didn't realise until very recently was actually I've got a really bad relationship with alcohol. But, um, again, when you think about that, you, th- you either think you're normal, in inverted commas, yeah. or alcoholic, but actually there's there's a real grey area in between that, um, if I had one pint, I would want ten, for example, because yeah. you kind of, it's what I now call drinking with intent, that actually, yeah. it, you can't just have a drink to enjoy the drink, it's, it was actually, there was a reason why I was doing it, so, but I never realised until I stopped, and I think that's a lot of the time, these challenges that we have, we can trace back a long way, but also, we we lie to ourselves. We try and convince ourselves that everything's yeah. okay. And I wonder, I wonder how much of that just becomes part of your identity, right? You know, how much of that, like, as you say, like, that unwritten thing about, like, I, I'm a, I, I enjoy a drink, when in actual fact you've never tried not enjoying a drink. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, it's interesting. Don't get me wrong. Uh, like I said, I've timed it well because the 0% beer market is actually pretty decent now. So I do get the cool. Yeah, I, I, I don't know. I, I, think, um, I think when I, I look at from conditioning from a challenges perspective, obviously there's, there's positive conditioning as well. Yeah. It's what installs in us good, good manners. Habits and behaviours, um, yeah. I had a very loving upbringing, so therefore actually I've got a lot of emphasis on, on a loving family kind of thing. Mm. That's kind of one of my drivers, one of my things. But, um, but the other thing is actually we can be conditioned even now um, in, in, in adult life that we are conditioned by the people that we, we kind of surround ourselves with the most. Yeah. Um, I always use the example that if you've got a group of, say, six friends, for example, and one of them is a really angry, kind of aggressive person, that, that'll either be in you because it just becomes part of you or because you resent it so much. Yeah. In a way, it's having an impact on who you are. Yeah, agrees. Um, but also breaking down the psychology of language and asking yourselves, I mean, the most powerful thing you can do is start to question everything that you, you are and everything you do. Um, because actually, if, if, you have, if you're not feeling life right now and you're kind of saying to yourself, I am rubbish, yeah, that's definitely you and it's your self-confidence because you're speaking in the first person. Scarily, most of the time, we say to ourselves, you are rubbish, for example. Yeah. And that's somebody else has told us that long enough for it to become our conditioning, yeah. for us to, be, to think it's true. Yeah. And I, I believe most of our kind of uh, uh, the most of the plans we make, most of the things we do, we don't go on because actually our conditioning holds us back. Yes. We're not used to being in a position where we look for the positive. We consistently look for the negative gotcha. um, by default. Okay, cool. Um, tell us. So, 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 like. I have a really good understanding of sort of how you've got to this point. Now, talk to us about the sort of variety of work you do, because I know you do some speaker training and you speak and help us understand how your how your days are spent now. <laughs> sure, no 
So speaking for me, still, it's a, a therapy. I still find it the most therapeutic thing. I speak all over the world on this stuff, on, on the lived experience of mental health. Um, and and that's kind of what I do, predominantly to corporates and to companies. Yep. Um, but but stage events as well, and, and also to schools and educational organizations as well. So that's kind of what I do, if I'm honest. The speaking academy and the speaking coaching came by default because I got uh, about two years into speaking about this stuff, and I was speaking a lot. But because I'm reconnecting to an emotional kind of story that I'm telling, yeah. um, actually it was starting to negatively impact me by constantly living in that moment, which um, which needs to be done. If you're going to convey an emotion to an audience, you need to revisit that to then kind of showcase and present it and, and that kind of thing. Yeah. So um, the Speaking Academy come by default originally because of that element, but also because when I first went self-employed as a speaker, um, that actually this was a passion, this was a cause before, suddenly without any job, the mortgage still need to be paid. Gotcha. Crusader on and we've got yeah. So it also kind of ticked that karma box. I now help other people to tell their story. I now help other people to to speak publicly. It's not a, a formal presentation training kind of thing. It's very much based on emotional storytelling. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. So that's kind of so I run an academy every month in Bristol. I'm looking to send that further afield as well. Okay. I'm also one-to-one people that want to go pro as a speaker because, again, most people will have a business and then they get into the speaking world. Actually, I come from the other approach. I had to, to commercialise speaking sure. before it became a business. Sure, So sure. I help other people to do that because, actually, that's the bit that people struggle with most. Gotcha. Help me understand. Like, I know you speak over the, across the world and this stuff. Do you think culturally different countries have got... a different perceptions of anxiety and mental health and in your experience have you found that to be more of a challenge in some countries than not or actually as humans we're all pretty similar I think actually that in the UK we're, we're, we're a tad more closed than uh, when I spoke in Germany and France so I think we're a tad more closed okay. but there are certain, there's also certain elements which, which um, the, the overriding theme sits like universally, yeah. There are some massive differences when you go to like Russia and China, for example. So I've I have been there, but I've spoken in front of uh, Russian and Chinese students at universities a lot, and they're not used to people, especially men, opening up. Yeah. At all. So yeah. they think of some kind of like fat Tony Robbins. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, it was, it was interesting. I was in Japan earlier this year and um, I did loads and loads of research on Japanese culture because it just fascinates me before I went. And there was a thing that I read that said that they did a survey about the countries where smiling's most appropriate. Um, and, and Russia, if you smile in Russia, you're perceived as less smart. Whereas in the Western world, if you smile a lot and you're friendly, you're perceived as more smart. And I thought that was an interesting... I'll send you a link. It's an amazing piece of research. Um, um, But yeah, 
culturally, smiling is perceived in different ways in different parts of the world. And the t I think that certainly Russia is one of them. I think China was another one. Um, they were two parts of the world where um, uh, smiling was seen as foolish or comedic as opposed to just happy. Um, whereas in the Western world, it's, uh, it, it's a bit more open. Do you... I suppose the other thing, like, and again, this is only from personal experience, if I look at my dad, for example, I'd certainly say that he's probably less open about, number one, his emotions. Um, uh, I mean, me personally, as soon as the first 10 minutes of up comes on, I'm in floods of tears. Um, oh, I, look, that is, an, that is an amazing piece of storytelling, Nick, isn't it? Um, uh, but yeah, so, so that, uh, certainly, but our reaction to um, sort of uh, uh, sharing this sort of stuff, and certainly our reaction to talking about emotions is fundamentally different. Do you think we're getting better generation by generation at this sort of stuff? And what's your thought on that? Yeah, I think so. I think that, that again, it's the same as culturally, generationally, is the difference as far as uh, uh, there's definitely is becoming a lot better. But actually, on the flip side, I think there's also a danger in that as well. So, for example, I've got a real kind of love-hate relationship with um, like the kind of mental health community online because a lot of people will will post without any formal solution or inspiration. Yeah. So it comes into kind of like a mosh pit of despair, especially with the kind of the age groups I'm speaking to in schools around the year 10, year 11 uh, kind of ages. Yeah. But I think that it's, it's fantastic as it is to speak up. We need to be able to speak up to either reach out for inspiration um, and or actually have something in place where we can pick up the desperation. Yeah. Um, but again, it's not the platforms, it's how we choose to use those and how we immerse ourselves in those as well. But yeah. it's very easy to get caught up in that. Um, if, do you understand what I mean on that? Yeah, no, no, absolutely. What what is the tangible outcome? If like you need some light at the end of the tunnel, don't you? That's 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 what yeah. you that's what you need, or, or you know, or, or, or what's the point? But you, I mean, I, I suppose and the other interesting thing is. Um, Part of, yeah, I get what you're saying in terms of, in terms of um, having a positive outcome. But do you think we've become better at talking about anxiety and OCD and and those sort of things, or do you think part of the challenge is that we talk about it but we haven't got enough solutions? I think uh, the the challenge is to encourage people to give people the environment where they they can be genuinely heard. Yeah. I've got this thing, and I and, uh, said it, it most of the time. This is kind of seen as happening essentially. Like I said, people want to be heard, they yeah. want to be understood. When people have that platform that, and they feel that they're genuinely heard, most of the time they will find their own way forward. Yeah. The problem is that we're not being heard. Yeah. So, again, it's not so much about what we're sharing, it's about actually who we're sharing that with, with. and what's the, what's the outcome of that. Yeah. Um, so, so what again part of my driver with the speaking academy and stuff is to give people that safe space to start to test delivering emotion because actually when we start to deliver our experiences from an audience perspective you start to see the value of why you've been through what you've been through whatever that may be so in my experience actually the first i know 30 odd years of my life dealing with this kind of stuff now 
makes sense because actually I'm doing something far better and far more exciting than I would have been doing without that happening. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's a, it, it was a lesson you had to potentially go through to get where you are today, right? Um, yeah, it's, it's that adversity to, adversity to excitement thing. I mean, it's the fact that we either let the name, the name of my business, Forging People, came from a line of my talk. We either let something negatively define us for the rest of our days, or we allow it to forge something powerful. Yeah. We allow it to forge something beautiful. F- forge, forge through the fire of life, sort of thing. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, I like it. And I love it. But it takes the same energy. It takes the same energy to destroy ourselves, and it does to create something. Yeah. Here. Yeah, and I, lo- I love that that positive perspective on it because somebody else could have s- perceived that in a, a, the same journey, but perceived it in an entirely different way, potentially. Um, so, so, that, so that that's 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 really interesting. Help me understand, like when you when you're working with people, and, uh, and what, as I said to you, what I absolutely loved about hearing you speak is for the first time in a long time, I knew that you were a hundred percent authentic. But as you said, people sometimes put barriers up to protect themselves. So, how do you, when you're working with people, um, particularly when you want them to tell their authentic story, help them? Yeah. make sure that those barriers come down I don't think so if, if you look at the structure of my, my Steve Academy day yeah. uh, I don't do anything special really it's pretty okay. strange that um, I basically of the it starts at 10 in the morning we go through it's a 4 in the afternoon I've always got a, a therapist there a well-being specialist okay. professional um, so we've got uh, somebody to help should it, it never has done but should it ever get on, on too emotional in terms of worryingly so, we've got, we've got help kind of thing. Um, but I've got two guest speakers. So the format of the day runs that actually for the first um, maybe hour and a half, they're listening to two guest speakers and they're introducing themselves and that's it. Yeah. The weird thing, and it's never, like in, the, in all the months I've been doing this, it's never failed once, that as soon as people start speaking themselves, within an hour, they're sharing everything to a room full of people that were strangers now and half ago. Yeah, it's interesting. Because they suddenly building on a platform. I've not coerced that. I actually proactively say to people, if you want to make something up to tell this little talk you're going to do, make something up. No one ever makes it up. Because yeah. actually, for the first time, they've got a safe space to properly be heard in. <laughs> Yeah. I apologise about the shit suit barking, by the way. <laughs> no, no, no. I'm, I'm, I'm glad. I'm glad he's on the mend, mate. He's not been well recently, is he? Uh, she's, uh, she's an epileptic uh, Shih Tzu, unfortunately, in that last Oh, no. Um, she had um, cluster seizures and unfortunately she, um, she's fallen and fell and stopped breathing, so I had to bring her back. And uh, now she's playing up like, like nothing ever happened. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Blessing and a curse. Yeah, you wouldn't, you, wouldn't, you wouldn't want it any other way, but uh, even so. So that was Nick. He's a bit amazing, isn't he? Yep. More on Nick next week. Tis the end. Ah, come on, man. You've got more potential than that. What? All right, let me try again. Tis the end of another podcast. How was that? Beautiful. Do you want to show our listeners how it's actually done? I think you've done a good job, but I'll, 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 I'll show you. Go on, then. Tis the end of another podcast. <laughs> That was very good. Well done. So um, last week we asked the question um, about buildings and architecture. And I asked, what is the 
your favourite piece of architecture in the world? And we had a bunch of um, bunch of different answers. Some of which we'll put the photos on the um, on the website, so you can have a look. And, Do you think there's um, a name for that? Well, a love of buildings. I'm pretty sure there is. Um, uh, but I don't know what the answer is, actually. So we'll find that out and talk about it next week. Mm. Um, uh, but we've got a few. So Russell Dames, esteemed editor of The Kindness Project, will need to get involved, saying, um, I have a couple. The Patronus Towers with the Skywalk looks amazing. And the Panth- Parthenon Pantheon. Pantheon is a marvel of Roman achievement. Mm-hmm. Um, and I've been to the top of the Patronus Towers and actually walked across that skywalk. Nice. Um, so I've been there. We've been to the Parthenon, but we we've never been... been to the Pantheon. We haven't been to the Pantheon. So. Because the Pantheon is Roman and we... Did we go to Rome? We've been to Rome, We've yeah. been to Rome, yeah. Well, I, don't, I don't know why we haven't been to the Pantheon yet. We uh, did it still around? Probably. I'm sure. Um, Khan said, whoa, big one. It's not not a single piece, but the Portico Temple at Park Buell, where the dragon leads up the steps, all of the ceiling under the pillars is done with mosaic. And if you walk around to the top, you can see Barcelona spread out before you. Pretty decent, that one. I agree. I've, I think Barcelona for architecture mm, really is amazing. Um, but I'm going to add another one. The Milau Viaduct, but whatever Foster did, it's a bigger feat of civil engineering than imagining a new reality. John Cook said um, St Paul's Cathedral, and I was in a bar last night um, uh, look, uh, that overlooked mm. St Paul's Cathedral. I agree with the phrase, tired of London, tired of life, because I still get excited about yeah. uh, uh, going into London. I do it quite a lot. Chris Haycock said the Great Pyramid at Giza. Um, outside and inside. You're right, Giza? Yeah, <laughs> I'm just going with pyramids. <laughs> All right, I? Chris Haycock, you're a bit of a Giza. Um, uh, at Giza, outside and inside are equally spectacular. Now, I, we've been to Egypt, but we've never been to the pyramids, so I'll have to add that to my list. And Rachel Fennessy said, Machu Picchu, it is absolutely breathtaking. Um, Charlie Goodman said, um, there is a hotel in Palm Springs which just looks like it's out of the 50s. Um, it's called the Palm Spring Rendezvous. Uh, Rendezvous. Um, Richard Ellis says, again, another Barcelona one, has to be the Sagrada Familia. I love that building. Mm-hmm. Um, it's amazing. And um, lastly, um, uh, at Planagel on Twitter said, Falling Water. Um, and it is an absolutely amazing um, looking building. Uh, again, we'll put details of it on the show notes so you can have a look. Um, and that, my friends, it's is truly the end. It's truly the end of another show. We shall see you next week. Bye.